0: All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Good. Um, yeah, I don't know any better language than someone being willing to watch your kids. I think. I think anyone. I think that speaks to any. Uh, speaks to anyone, whether you're a Christian or not. I think everybody needs a date night. But um, all right. So uh, this morning we're going to be diving um, back into all the f- the, the series about First John, and so I'll be covering uh, about five or six passages. From First John uh, chapter two. Uh, before I dive into that, though, um, because we're going to be kind of addressing things um, like th- this scripture that we have today is a real confrontation. Like it's re- it's really supposed to challenge us. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to do the lighthearted thing before we dive into the harsh stuff. So, uh, so I'm going to say a couple. I'm going to sing a couple like uh, like one liners to songs. I don't see if you guys know uh, the rest of this. So if I sing. If I say, like, I know you want to leave me, but. Okay. I'm so glad you're here today, Crystal. <laughs> Seriously, if Crystal wasn't going to be here, I did not know if anybody would, like, you know. Uh, how about, uh, never going to give you up. Yeah. All right. You guys know it. Um, what about. uh Why'd you have to go and make things so? Let's see the way you act. Like. So, how many 90s kids are there? Any 90s kids out there? Okay. Uh, how about don't speak? I know I just watch you. I don't need you. Yeah. We know those. I think I got one more here. See, now, now you're not going to be able to listen to the message of all these songs stuck in your head. I got one more. Um, I saw the sun. <laughs> Sorry for everyone who doesn't really care about the 90s. There's just like a lot of 90s songs in there. But I did throw a- Too Proud to Beg in there, so that, you know, that's 60s. But. Um, so why would I do that? Because, uh, you know, one of the challenges in today is just our challenge to memorize Scripture and uh, not for the sake of memorizing it, just so that we can recite it and debate with people, but so that can actually come alive in um, our lives. So imagine if we knew Scripture like we know some of these songs. Like, some of these songs didn't come out, I guess, let's see. Ain't Too Proud to Beg, that was like 65 or something like that. So, uh, But even these 90s songs, I mean, can you believe the 90s was, you know, 20-some years ago? That just, that hurts a little bit for me. But um, we're closer to 2050 than we are to 1990. That's just... Let that sink in. But, um, but imagine that. Imagine what our lives could actually be like if we, if we memorize Scripture the way we, um, we just catch on to songs. Um, so today, it's really going to be kind of like we're, um, we're blowing a trumpet here. We're really sounding alarm um, with God's Word. And when we talk about things like the challenges that we face as Christians, um, some might debate about these things or what our greatest challenges might be. One thing might be, you know, spiritual attacks from the enemy because you know we're we're believers. Um, It could be we might say maybe politics could be something that attacks us or political correctness or uh, the flesh. You know, the ways of the flesh could really um, could be a struggle. But the main thing we're going to talk about today is the world, and not so much in the sense of the persecution of the world because for us. We probably don't face nearly as much persecution as Christians on other sides of the world, you know, um, where Christians are maybe a minority or there maybe there's missionaries in some, um, you know, difficult areas um, around the globe. So, what we're going to talk about is actually the, the seduction of the world and pretty much how we allow ourselves to, to be seduced by things of the world. And when we do that, how we get far away from God's word and we get far away from God's purpose for our life and just the things he wants to do you know us being able to walk in purity and and those types of things Um, so Charles Spurgeon um, I'm going to go to this quote Uh, he said I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has seen so little influence over the world is because the world has seen so much influence over the church so we live in a time where you can't always tell where the church begins and where the world ends. If you look at statistics and you compare the church to the rest of the world, a lot of things are very similar. Um, for instance, you know, Christians, we can be just as materialistic as, as people who are not Christians. Um, we can be just as self-centered, uh, just as sexually immoral. You know, a lot of times Christians are just as likely to have sex outside of marriage. Christians are just as likely to look at pornography um, and our spending patterns, too. You know, we, especially in our Americanized culture, we're so much about our money that when we think about, think, you know, giving to the work of God, sometimes that that takes a back seat, you know. And, you know, some statistics say that um, less than 50% of uh, people, like what people who go to their church, like lefty, less than 50% of the people that that go to a church, like, don't even give to the work of God right there in their church. You know, and it's said that 6% of Christians actually tithe. Um, and racially, we, we're divided more than the world. You know, Our churches can be uh, very divided in that sense. Uh, the, the divorce rates can be the same. Um, so I, I think you guys are, are tracking with me here. The priorities of Christian parents even for their kids look virtually identical to the priorities of non-Christian parents. It's not necessarily what our kids and students are getting that's bad. It's what our kids aren't getting. And the effects are evident. Students oftentimes go away to college and they walk away from their faith because it actually wasn't their own. You know, maybe because they only came to church and that was it. You know, maybe they didn't get in the word or maybe they, their parents believed in getting them into sports and that'll keep them away from drugs and all these other bad things. But then, you know, their faith, they don't have their own faith. So something needs to change. Uh, we are living just like the world. We look just like the world, and we love the world. So that's what we're going to tackle today. So buckle your seatbelts. So the scripture we're going into is 1 John um, chapter 2, and we're going to be covering verses 12 through 17. So I'm just going to go ahead and uh, read this. And I have it right here. Alright, so this is the NIV version. Uh, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love, the Father, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So what John is writing about here, we're going to kind of break it down to, you know, why he's writing this, um, who he's talking to, and, and the commands that he's giving. So what he's writing about is that, you know, we must not love the world, you know, the ways, the practices, the patterns of the world that are set up in so many ways against the word of God. This is a world where it's normal to go day-to-day in your life just gratifying yourself, indulging yourself, entertaining yourself, exalting yourself without regard for the character or the commands of God. Our schedules, our spending, our giving, our marriages, our parenting, our purity, our lives should look very different, not for the sake of being different, but because we love and trust God more than we love and trust in the world. So we're going to look first um, with the first verse there, with verse 12. And after each verse, um, we'll have a picture of of the Bible, because uh, for those of you who have been highlighting or underlining or circling things like uh, in the past messages, we're going to keep doing that. So, All right, so I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. So go ahead and underline little children. And so this is, this is John's audience, you know, his church family in Ephesus. They see him as a fatherly, you know, spiritual father to them. And he's like a father of the, of the faith to them. He says, he says they are children of God because their sins are forgiven and they put their faith in Jesus. So the next verse says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. So here, what we're going to do is underline fathers. And you're going to circle no. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. So go ahead and underline young men and then circle overcome and the evil one. Now, when he says fathers, he's not specifically, like that's not supposed to be a gender-specific thing. He is talking to, you know, fathers and mothers of the faith, you know, people who are more mature spiritually and, and physically. The mothers and fathers of the faith, um, oh, I'm sorry, I repeated that part. Uh, so, you know, when you're when you're someone who has been a father or mother in the faith, you know, you have been taken from glory to glory, you've been taken from, faith to faith um, you know god by your experience with him and and you and you gain godly wisdom from god so that word know if we go to the the verse where it says uh, because you know him that's wh- that's what they mean by know i mean how many here have known about god for a long time before you actually knew him you know i knew about god i thought he was a great idea like i thought wow that's cool he made us and That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it just just kind of was like an idea, but to know that he was noble just kind of brought things to a completely different level. So that's that's what it means when it says no. It doesn't mean you know about him or you know of him. It means you know him. The newer believers have moved from being in the world to being in Jesus. So when it says overcome, it's talking about a spiritual battle. So we're going to talk about the evil one, but let's first read uh, the repetition from John because it gives us some key info. So he repeats himself in in verse 14. He says, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So if we go to the page where what you guys can see here is uh, to underline dear children, fathers, and young men again. And then the words you're going to circle is strong, word of God, and overcome. The evil one is conquered by the strength that comes from having the word of God abiding in us. Like I said in the beginning, it's not just the memorization of things. It's you reading it, you applying it to your life, you bearing the fruit of it, and and reaping those benefits. And that's why Pastor Bill, I mean, you'll hear him almost every week, he'll say how important it is for us to read our Bible. Because when we, I know for myself, I'm just going to speak for myself for a minute, I know when I'm not regularly in the Bible or if I didn't take so much time to read it um, when I first got saved, I would still be relying on a lot of just like flippant phrases and stuff. You know, people say things like, you know, well, you know, oh brother, everything happens for a reason or whatever will be, will be. And it's like, none of of those are in this. (laughs) Like I haven't found either of those phrases in here. You know, if, if, if that was true, that we would just sit back and, oh, whatever will be, will be, then why would we need to have faith to see things through? Another favorite one I have is um, when people say, you know, God only helps those who help themselves. If that's true, why would he love us while we were still sinners? I just know that from experience. I just, like, God was still good even when I was in rebellion, not helping myself. So let's let's get rid of some of these phrases that actually have nothing to do with this. Um and what I just wanted to show you guys just like on a personal basis with when I this was the first Bible I used when I first got saved in let me get in, in the in the New Testament. Oh, let me flip this right. I was so astounded by the word of God that I don't know if you guys can see this, but there's a lot of underlining and like stars and double Let's see, where's, oh, there's some more. A lot of stars, a lot of, a lot of everything. Why am I showing you that? Because when you actually take the time to read it, it just comes alive to you. I grew up Catholic, so I thought, oh yeah, okay, we don't read the Bible, whatever. And then I thought, like, all Protestants definitely read the Bible. They don't. <laughs> so, so I can't emphasize enough how much it came alive to me, because I relied too much on other people who were, you know, leaders in the faith to just tell me what to do. So I can't emphasize enough. When you read your Bible, you're actually relying on the Spirit of God because it is His Word. We can rely on it. We have a spirit ourselves. So when we we abide in it, we're eating of it and we're feeding our spirit. If I'm feeding my spirit with fortune cookies and horoscopes, what's my life going to look like? It's going to be flailing all over the place, right? So I want to equip you today to be an overcomer. And what we're going to be talking about is two different activities of Satan uh, that the Word of God enables us to overcome. So the first one is accusations. See, these are the things, like, like, he has no, like, original content. The enemy, right? He just perverts everything. So the best he can do is remind you about your past all the time, right? It's he's like he tries to be like that rear view mirror of like, ah, oh, but look, you will screw up eventually. You'll betray so and so, or you'll do this, or God's going to be mad at you. And he tries to use these accusations to help us to make us think that we can't change or, you know, we can't actually go from glory to glory. If we look at Revelation, We're going to look at that scripture real quick. It says that for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Those two things supersede all those accusations. There's another, <laughs> I can't, like, I've, I've memorized a lot of Scripture, but I can't tell you where it is. So like when it talks about the sea of forgetfulness, I, I, I know that's in there somewhere. But uh, those accusations get thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. When we're washed by Jesus' blood and we, we ask for that forgiveness, we abide in Him and we no longer, God no longer brings it back up. If you feel like you're being guilt-tripped over and over again or you're superstitious about things, it's most likely the enemy trying to bring those accusations back because he's got nothing else to give you. So for that Bible verse, um, we're encouraging you guys to underline where it says accuser and accuses, but then circle where it says triumphed, blood, and word. We overcome, we triumph by the blood of Jesus and the word. So think of God's Word as living and active. It's your link with Jesus in heaven where He is your infallible, all-gracious advocate. Become a Bible-saturated Jesus follower. When you have this Word abiding in you, then then you're more likely to believe Jesus is actually standing, standing there as your advocate. It doesn't matter the amount of accusations the enemy can bring because all that, become, that, all that dissipates because of Jesus and his the blood, the, the blood of Jesus, and the word of our testimonies. So, all of the Bible is God's inspired word. So, if we immerse ourselves in it and we let it abide in us, we can enjoy the triumph over the accusations. So, the second thing that satan uses is temptations. So you got accusations which has to do about things of your past, right? Temptations have more to do with what he's trying to get you to do in the future. He tempts us to do the sin that we haven't even done yet. Right? And what is temptation? Temptations are, you know, he they're like empty promises from the enemy. If the devil can't undermine your faith by accusation, he is relentless in trying to undermine your faith with temptation. Temptation is, a, is every sort of imaginable—not just temptation, every sort of imaginable—not just temptations of the flesh. Think unbearable pain, loss of loved ones, sickness, or pain in your kids, um, financial hardship, marriage tensions, natural disaster, violence. The temptation is to experience the brokenness of this world and walk away from God. How many times have we been tempted to just, you know what, whatever God. Because we got so centered on what we think our life's supposed to be about. Satan tempts us in one way. He has li- his lies, two lies, God is bad and sin is better. But the word of God gives you the strength to overcome the evil one. So in John 8.32, it says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How many of you guys want to be free? How many want to stay free? So whether you're a husband, a wife, you're single, you're young, you're old, you're a kid, your student, let the word of God abide in you richly and you will overcome the evil one. So in this letter that John's writing, he's telling us to not love the world, right? He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So what is the command that John is, is giving to his people? Well, in verse 15, do not love the world, right? So on the Bible part, you can see where circle do not and underline the world, which I think is twice. Yeah, love the, yeah, the world and anything in the world. This is the only command in this section, probably the main point that John has. It's all-inclusive and there's no wiggle room, right? He says anything. So why shouldn't we love the world? It says it in the rest of the verse, right? The world and its desires will pass away. You know, when we think about those temptations and things, um, and we, if we give in to those temptations, a lot of times we realize how short-lived a lot of those things were anyway. And it's just something that passes away. A lot of times we, we realize things aren't worth it when we give in. So the picture of the world is a system of thoughts, ideas, practices, patterns, and pleasures that are set up against God, His Word, and His ways. John is clearly saying that the love for that system and the love for God can't coexist. It's passing away. It's short-term It's instant gratification that doesn't last. So someone might sell you some stock, but the next week it might be completely worthless, right? Someone might sell you a house, but the foundation is cracked. And it's not the value that it seemed. So going on to the next part of verse 17, it says, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. So circle does and underline the will of God. We've also heard it say being doers of the word, right? Not just hearers of the word. Another scripture, I can't seem to, I don't know where it is. I know it's somewhere in there. <laughs> uh, but, but what does that look like, right? It says if you love God, you will do his will and follow his word. The scripture that comes to mind for me is, is the one in Mark. Um, oops, sorry it's not up there but where it says that we're to love the lord with all of our mind all of our heart all of our soul and all of our strength and i remember talking with someone a while back and we were talking about what that means like to love god with all of my mind well if we apply the scripture to it that means desiring the mind of christ what does that mean that means taking thoughts captive right any, any thought captive that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. It means asking for God's wisdom because we know that He gives wisdom liberally to those who ask. What does it mean to love God with our, our whole heart? Well, our heart, we think about some verses there. Hope, hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? So if we have hope in Jesus, then our, our heart is in Jesus. Loving people as Jesus did. What does it mean to love God with all of our soul and all of our strength. It means to walk with Him, to be with Him, to, to be God conscious, to be aware of Him throughout our day. It means surrendering our willpower to Him and, and doing what's right and, and asking for His grace to make the next right decision. So it's empty talk to say I love God but not to do what he says. When the love of the father is in you, you start to see everything around you as an opportunity to love God more. You start to approach life in every facet through the lens of 1 Corinthians 10:31. Where it says, "So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God." And I'm afraid so many of us Um, don't know this kind of experience of God's love. You know, we love the things of the world so much, but we know the love of God so little. We don't know it on a personal basis. We've actually convinced ourselves that the ways of the world are better than He is. And anything that's not in God's design and and in God's uh, will is, is just a counterfeit. That's how I've started to see things myself. Any, anything, any temptation that the enemy tries to use, it's, it's just a ripoff of what, what God really has for us. Because if we would just trust Jesus, his ways are so much better. And first, John 2:15, like we said, it's telling us that if we just realize the greatness of God's love for us, what He will do is wean us off a desire for things of the world. Because we'll see them for what they are. They're empty and they don't last. And so what I hope you guys are wondering with this message is, you know, how do I get out of this? How do I break this cycle of just relying on the ways of the world? Or not really believing that I'm a child of God. Because if you're not wondering it, I... I may be afraid for the destiny of your soul. You know, we, we need to allow God's conviction to, to actually we need to absorb it. You know, yes, we know God's good, but He also has things that He wants us to do. He has adjustments He wants to make. We break free by believing that by God's grace, Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to wash away all our sins. Every time we fall. By God's grace, when we confess our sins, we will be forgiven. Then we cry out in desperation to God, God, help me to do what's in this word. Our salvation isn't out there waiting for us in heaven. It's right here. It's right now. So do you want God and do you want life? So let's go ahead and pray. God, I'd just like to pray right now, Lord, and just uh, lift up everyone who is here, everyone from this congregation. Lord, that we would just learn to love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our soul, Lord. Lord, that we wouldn't be seduced by the ways of this world. And Lord, we don't have to operate in fear when it comes to being seduced by the world. Because if we are taking the time to be in your word and spending time with you, then the ways of the world won't even be as enticing. They won't be as seductive. We'll be able to live by the Spirit as you intended us to, Lord. So Lord, I just ask that for every heart in here, Lord, even myself, I'm asking, that you would just, uh, you would just convict us in the things that we've allowed to just become rulers of our life lord whether it's things with our finances our relationships our purity our parenting our academics our job every dimension of our life lord that you just that we would just open our hearts and we would just allow you to just put your finger on those things lord And Lord, I also just want to pray just for some of the things that are going on in our world today. Um, Just a lot of the divisiveness that happens, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would teach us to not be like the world in that sense. Because, Lord, when we're backbiting just like the world or we're um, being cruel or saying bitter things, we're acting just like the world, Lord. Help us to be more Christ-like, be more loving. Help us, Lord, to have the grace to contend with people that we don't understand, the people we don't know, the people we don't agree with. Because, Lord, it's only by your grace that we can do that. Only by your grace, Lord.